Well, hey guys, welcome to another episode of Digging Deeper here with the one, the only, Peter Goodman. This is the exact same as last week, only we've switched sides of the table. You know, and and it's also different from Sunday because you're not wearing your preaching pants anymore. You're back to I'm also not shorts. wearing a gray, a free gray Rise City t-shirt, which I usually wear on Digging Deeper. Today I'm wearing a free Homes of Hope t-shirt. shirt. So, and you know what? And somehow you still pull it off with that handsome haircut. Free t-shirts. And, you know, free I, t-shirts. I, they're my, if we have a, we don't actually have a dress code to work at Rice City. If we did, it would be free t-shirts. That would be the dress cargo code. cargo pants. Okay. okay. Is this, is this, and if you're making all the rules, is that what's happening? If a middle, basically you have to dress like a middle-aged white man mowing his lawn. That's, that's what you have to do to work at Rice City. Or also... Uh, you know, a pastor that, uh, I don't know. And anyway, but, um, let's keep going. So thank you so much for your message on Sunday. You're welcome. Robert. You're you. welcome. <laughs> thank you for thanking me. I wanted to thank you to continue through this riveting book. First Thessalonians. Yes. Um, famous French. This I feel is, so appreciated. Is, yeah. You know, this is off to a weird start, but you know, let's jump in and, and get serious about this right now. Yes. Yeah, serious. So, really serious. So your first point, you know, really was about this idea of, our love being distinct in a way that it actually um, is a witness to the watching world about who Jesus is and why Christians are so different in that way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of talked about that. You use this really like fancy word that is one of my favorite cities in the world. Have you been to Philadelphia? Um, I don't know. I'm just kidding. I don't know if it is actually one of my. Favorites. You just lied. I, you know what? I have. You just no, lied. I have been to, to Philadelphia. everyone in this podcast. I did. I went to a. Uh, I went to a Calvary Chapel pastors conference at Calvary Chapel Philly, and it was fantastic. And uh, and also, I had a bunch of cheesesteaks, and those cheesesteaks are awesome as well. So absolutely. Okay. But you talked about that. Um, but here's my question. You know, there's times in the Bible where um, Paul actually talks about almost kind of casting out the sinners in your midst and really like the people that are really habitually sinning like first Corinthians 5 11 I've been reading through this and mm-hmm. and I came across this scripture but now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy an idolater or slanderer a drunkard or swindler do not even eat with such people and so how do we balance this idea of as Christians we should hold each other accountable. We should be uh, people who, who would hold high the truth, who would actually confront sin in one another, and at the same time, have this phileos type of love towards one another in a way that would actually be a witness to the watching world. So many people will point to those incidents where you know someone got called out for their sin or, or someone you know was corrected in a way or even cast out of a group because of their life and their life choices. And they'll say, look at those Christians they're not loving, they're judgmental, they're, they're self-righteous, and there's a whole other slew of adjectives they might use for that. What mm. would you say is kind of that balance, or how do those two things coincide with one another? How do you hold both of those? Man, you did come out swinging. I know, I know. That's I a did. heavy question. <laughs> um, I see the relationship, though. First uh, Corinthians 5, they expel the immoral brother um, because... And just just maybe like a little bit of a recap, or not recap, but tie it in. The focus of what I was trying to really dive into is moving past, and I don't want to say simplistic. I don't mean simplistic, but the word love, just like, oh, love people. Like Paul is talking about this family relationship that's now being created. 
And then Paul says, uses the same Delphos, Philadelphias, expel the immoral Delphos. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's family language still. When he says expel the immoral brother, it's like the family member who is doing this. So there's this connection, caring for family, holding family accountable. Yeah. Is your Are your family members in need? Are they being lazy and not working? Are they not living up to it? It's family language. Um, I think that part of, part of my answer would be to say uh, the family language is so important to understand because trying to apply those scriptures in non-family settings is really difficult and problematic. So if you think about, and my small group actually talked about that passage this last year, made a good conversation. If you think about what a church would have looked like in Corinth or Thessalonica, uh, you hear the word church and even like, let's say this, even if you're a person who attends a small church mm-hmm. and I'll just be honest, most of the people listening to Digging Deeper probably attend Rise City and we're not a small church. We're not a mega, mega church, but we're not small by any means. Sure. Even a small church in America, which you might say, I don't know, 100 people is massive compared to Corinth. <laughs> uh, the churches in Corinth might've been a collection of different houses. Each had 10 to 20 people meeting in them. So that's family. Like that's family. Like that's like, and you're doing life together. You're literally like, yeah. So even like that last part of that sentence, it says um, they shouldn't share a meal with you, eat with you. Like the, like that's talking about this communion Lord's supper, which wasn't just a little piece of juice and cracker. It was gathering together every week and sitting down and having an actual meal which was part of in the, in that culture, having a meal together was a major social thing and who you ate with, who you didn't eat with, had all these things, who, where people sat at the table. So it's all family language. It's all like you are this, this community now of 10 to 15 people is a family that needs to take care of each other, hold each other accountable. So one of the things that I said when that, when I was asked about that passage about expelling the more brother, I, it's interesting because uh, I'll be honest, it's a little bit raw even. I had a, I had a meeting with someone last week who um, was <laughs> literally excommunicated, <laughs> kicked out of their church yeah. uh, for a decision they had made that the church believed was sin. And uh, what was interesting about the conversation, it was very hard, I, was on the one hand, I was like, I didn't want to like beat around the bush with this person and be like, oh, well, you never, you were, you were completely in the right here. This person even recognized that in retrospect, it probably wasn't the right decision, what they did. Okay. Um, but at the same time, it was like, like kicking someone out of a modern church today is just like a whole different thing <laughs> than being a small group of 10 or 15 people and saying, okay, if you're going to do this, you can't keep eating with us every week. Sure. Like telling someone they can't show up to your weekend service as a thousand people is like, wait, they're just not the same thing. Like, and I'm, I don't judge the church for doing it. And I don't certainly judge the person. Whatever. I'm just saying like, they're not the same thing. Modern day church services are not what you're looking at in Corinth. And the same with Thessalonica, when Paul is saying, you know, giving and caring for their needs and treating them like family, like, I, I don't really know how it translates. We'd have to dig into this deeper, but yeah. um, Rise City is over a thousand people. Uh, we're, we're not treating each other the way that I treat my fam- my extended family of 10 or 15. It's why we try to push people into life groups because the goal of being a large church is 
we need these kind of small communities. So, and I know I've gone the long way around this. I think when you look at Paul's writings, like Rise City and me personally, a a theologian as a pastor, um, if somebody is in blatant sin, I wouldn't be like, you're not allowed to come to Rice City. <laughs> I'd be like, keep coming to church, you need it. Yeah. But if someone in my life group that I'm doing life with and my kids are doing life with is in just complete blatant sin and not willing to change, I might very well say, look, I don't want you coming to this if you're gonna keep doing this. Um, and, I, and I would wanna give clarity to that because um, number one, he says, expel the immoral brother. He doesn't say expel the immoral outsider or the yeah. immoral pagan. Which is usually our response. Right. You know? So when you're like, oh, you're, you're being judgmental towards non-Christians. No, I'm not. I'm being judgmental towards a Christian who has made a decision to make, they, they have joined my family and my family is the kingdom of God where Jesus is king. And if you're going to be a part of my family, that's what you're signing up for. Jesus is king. You're not signing up to be perfect. I'm not expecting anyone to be perfect. But if you are going to completely neglect the lordship of Jesus over your life, you are not actually living as a citizen of the kingship and therefore you're not acting as my brother or sister. So I'm going to treat you differently. Um, and now I'm not, I'm a pretty easygoing person too. So a lot of times I, I don't, I don't know that I've ever actually done that. Yeah, sure. Um, but I could see myself coming to a point of saying like, you know, like the example that he gives and I was like, well, you know, I, I screwed up here and there. He's talking about, a man who was literally sleeping with his mother-in-law yeah, there was an and didn't issue. want to stop when he yes. was told to stop. Yeah. <laughs> if somebody was doing that in my life group, I'd be like, you got to go, bro. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. Like no, stop it or get out of here. Yeah. yeah. Um, would I stop giving money to somebody in my life group if I felt they were just abusing it? Absolutely. Absolutely. However, on a grander scale, and I don't, I think I can say this on a podcast, okay. <laughs> whatever. Rise City gives away money pretty regularly and not, sure. we don't give away physical, we literally give away money. We do, we do like Visa gift cards mm-hmm. to people that are just in need that come into our office. Absolutely. We have to track it though. And one of our pastors, Mike, this is his job. Yes. We have him fill out a form. When is the last time he took money from us? And we know, like we absolutely know some of these people are just, you know, they're just, some of the people that come through our door are they not really that interested in working. Okay. But we also have a lot of people who come through our door that are just in desperate need and have Absolutely. moments. Do we say, hey, you're lazy, we're not gonna give you money. You, No, we usually just give them something. Like we usually do. So again, I'm not applying this verse necessarily this massive, but I might apply it more specifically in a smaller setting where I know the person, I have a relationship and I'd say, dude, I've already helped you a lot. At this point, you need to go get a job. I might say that to someone in my small circle, but I don't know that I would say it to somebody in the bigger, in the bigger thousand person sure. member that I don't even really know you. I, so it's hard to sometimes apply these verses as a church collective. Um, it almost feels like they need to be applied in the smaller settings, but that's just my opinion. I, I, you could disagree with that. And no, I, I, I agree with you. I also think the restorative side on the back end of that is such an important part too. Um, mm. Is, is that there's always an opportunity and there's always an encouragement towards restoring a brother or sister sure, who's fallen absolutely. away too. And sometimes it does mean that you send them away for a period of time. I think that talks about that as well. And and so that you can restore them as well. And so that restorative process is really that that Philadelphia love that you're talking about, that family unit of trying to restore each other and and bring each other back to to God's best for them and, and, and discouraging them away from sinful lifestyles that'll create destruction. It's a very... It's a very difficult thin line. 
Um, yeah. I don't disagree with you. I, I'm just like, I mean, because yes, is- yes, there's a restorative side. There's also a, like to Discipline. use a metaphor, the way that yeast it, uh, impacts an entire batch of dough, which is in First Corinthians, right? Yeah, like letting that person stay could actually ruin the whole family. Mm-hmm. So Paul is both. There is a side that's restorative. There's also a side of like, this is a cancer, and yes. you need to go, and that's hard. It is hard. It's really hard. One thing I would say, like, and I was thinking about this is even some other stuff I was doing. The word grace is oftentimes thrown around in these situations. Like, what about grace? What about mm. grace? And oftentimes I think we, number one, we don't always do a good job of understanding the word grace. We often confuse it with mercy, right? Like mercy is like, you've done something terrible, but I'm not gonna punish you, that's mercy. Grace is a gift, grace is giving you something. And God's grace is ultimately a gift of empowering us to live differently. Hmm. And we respond to God's grace by giving him our faith. Like we're saved by grace through faith. I, I'm okay. I'm I'm going to trust you, Jesus, and live the way that you called me to live in order to live out the grace you're giving me. So when I see somebody who isn't in any way responding to God and obeying Him or following Him, I'm like, well, I think Paul would say you're taking grace in vain. Like you're, it's useless. It's you're not apply like. But somebody that's just in blatant sin and doesn't have any interest in changing. Like oh, it's grace. It's grace. Like no, it's not. No, it's this is you're, you're this isn't grace at all. Grace yeah. is empowering you to stop doing what you're doing. And if you have no interest in stopping what you're doing, grace has gone out the window. Uh, whether or not you are judged by God and there's mercy is between you and Jesus. But here in my community, like I can't let you keep doing that and stay a part of this. And I'm talking about pretty egregious things here. I'm not talking about. Hey, I mean, the context you, sometimes you're, sometimes you're kind of arrogant or yeah. you're, you got an ego problem. I, I'm talking, yeah, you're sleeping with your mother-in-law, knock it off or get out of here. Yeah, for real. And yeah. I think it's such a good point because, you know, the, the initial question is really kind of how do you display love while also kind of doing those difficult things to protect the rest of the family. But that is protection is love. It is absolutely. Because if you don't do that and everyone ends up hurt, the watching world's going to point the finger all the same and say, I can't believe that you were so irresponsible. Sorry. One of the things that I didn't get into my message yesterday, you know, I I had to cut a lot of things. Sure. So I did say, and this was my language. This wasn't the Bible. I, I made this comment. I said, I think looking at this passage, I see that Philadelphia is this kind of love that cares for family. I said, it requires two things. It requires you have something to give, right? Like so to be generous, I have to have something. So see yourself as someone who works, applies themselves. Yeah. But then I said, it also requires personal responsibility. And I didn't really get into this, but what I really kind of meant was, and I sort of came back to it at the end. Good. If personal responsibility isn't present, what will grow is resentment and lack of generosity. I will be less likely to give if I feel like all these people are abusing what I'm giving. And I think okay. Paul knew that. And you'll resent what right. you have given. And then I won't, I won't, I'll stop giving. So, and I, I did, I don't know if I did in the first service or the second service, yeah. but I, some, something popped into my head. It wasn't in my notes where I was like, have you ever had that moment where you stop your car to stop light? And there's a homeless person asking for money. And there's the side of you that says, I want to be generous. And there's the other side of you that says, I have seen so many situations of these people just not wanting to get, knowing that they make more money doing this than working. And you're like, and I think Paul understood that. He's like, if we don't have, if there's not personal responsibility and accountability for abuse, it'll actually hurt your ability to be generous. It'll cause you to be pessimistic and question. And when those things get in your head, and trust me, I know this, I've dealt with this my whole life, 
I've shared this before. Like I had so many bad experiences with pastors and money. And what it does to you is it makes you, it makes you critical and it makes you question everything. It makes you always on the lookout for people's motives. You're always got your eyebrows raised. You become a skeptic. You become a skeptic. And then greed is logical. Like I have now defended greed in my mind. It makes sense. Yeah. The reason I'm being greedy is because I don't trust you guys. Yeah. You're, you're all a bunch of scammers or lazy people who are stealing my money, but it's still greed. And now mm. instead of generosity defining me, living with an open hand that is healthy and good for me, I'm, I'm holding everything in. So logic and hurt are now justifying greed. And I think Paul understood that. And he's like, so in chapter two, he's like, let's guard our motives. Yes. Let's not let people steal money. Then in chapter four, it's like, let's all work. Let's all do everything we can apply to ourselves so that generosity flows naturally and easily. And none of us have excuses not to give. And that's important for me because of my background. I'm like, I, I want people to be able to trust that they can give. Um, I want people to not have these real excuses. They're legitimate, yeah. but I want, I want like, no, let's not, let's get rid let's do everything we can to keep people from having those kind of excuses, not to be generous and give. Um, so that's why I talked about motives a few weeks ago. And it's why today I wanted to tell yesterday, I want to talk about let's hold each other accountable to what we're giving to. And it's, and that's why mm -hmm. you kind of hold that balance of wanting to actually make sure that there isn't this, uh, this culture of people just taking advantage yeah. of other people's generosity or taking advantage of what they might identify as grace and so forth. Yeah. But actually let's call people to a higher standard. And what's I interesting too, for us personally is everything that I just said kind of goes out the window at the Christmas offering. <laughs> Or even the the gift cards that you were just talking yeah, about. Yeah, the gift cards. Right? I, like, but the Christmas offering, we really do. We just we just give. We just write checks, man. <laughs> we don't follow up. We're not we're not doing interviews. We're not like, who is this person? What are they gonna do? We're like, oh, you need money? Here you go. And mm -hmm. it, the I I hate slash love it. I mean, is there? There's nothing. <laughs> Explain I, that. More. I hate slash love it. It drives my brain crazy. Cause I'm like, no, no, we need to make sure these people are deserving, that they'll be worth it, that they'll do something good with it. All of the things that most people think about grace, you should only give to people that earn it. Um, make sure they're not abusing us, making sure they're not scamming the system and just writing their name in there because sure. they want a free handout. My brain says all of that and I hate it. I'm like, Argh. but then we write the checks and we send them out and it's like someone is just opening all of the, the closed blinds of my heart and letting the sun in. Yeah. And I'm like, who cares what they're doing with it? Praise generosity is beautiful. Yeah. And it's, it's liberating. It's liberating to just be like, I don't care what they're doing with it. I'm going to be generous because God is generous because God gave to unworthy, yes. horrible okay. sinners who didn't deserve it. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, I think it, it makes us tied to the heart of God because yeah. while we were still sinners, we were the least deserving Christ died for us. Yeah. Like Christ displayed the greatest action of love mm -hmm. when we were least deserving of it. And yeah. so, so God isn't pulling out his, his calculator to check if we're deserving of the gifts that he gives us before he gives them. Right. He just gives it to us. Right. Like, the Bible says you can ask him for wisdom. He'll give it to you liberally. Like, yeah. you know, like God is a generous God. And so when we become generous and we kind of lose a little bit of that skepticism that makes us question 
motives and and why people are are receiving and and if people are going to be responsible with it i think it ties us to the heart of god and the heart of christ in a big powerful way it doesn't mean you need to be irresponsible or unwise with it all the time well i would say it's like just because i'm realizing now over the past six or seven minutes i I, kind of want to make a clarification because maybe maybe no one caught this but i want to say this Hmm. when i talked about grace the beauty of grace from a christian standpoint is that it's so undeserved. Yeah. God didn't consider your worth when he gave to you, which was contrary to the ancient world. In the ancient world, you always thought of worth. Like like you read Cicero or Seneca wrote a whole book about giving graces. Mm-hmm. And it was always like, consider the worth, giving, you know, don't give, per, you know, pearls to swine, like make sure they're good people before you give them gifts. So God's grace was astounding to the people. Like God's didn't give grace, like to get grace from the gods, you had to, do all this crazy stuff. You had to be a good person and sacrifice and bow down and sing whatever. And Jesus is like, no, you don't do any of that. Just come and ask him. He'll give you, he loves you. Yeah. The problem though, is what Christians, Christians are great at understanding that grace is unearned. They don't always understand though, that in the ancient world, grace always expected a return. So something can be unearned. Something can be completely undeserved, but you're still expected to respond to it. And so while we were sinners, Christ died to us and gave us this amazing gift that we didn't earn. But then he says, okay, I have given you this thing, so now come and follow me and live out the life I'm offering you. And the challenge is for us to say, we wanna be generous people um, in our giving and all these kind of things and be like God and and be generous in giving and whatever. And And I want that. We also want to be people who say, this is now what it looks like to respond. This is the path that the Bible has laid out. The path he's laid out is now turn around and say, Jesus, you're in charge. I'll do what you say. Like that's the response to grace that actually once I start doing what Jesus says, I start experiencing the life he has for me and the gift of life is now realized. That's good. So I think that's the tension is sometimes we're like, we want to be people of grace. We do like, we want to be generous and and come as you are kind of thing. Um, But as we like to say around here, it's not stay as you are. Stay as you are. Um, Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a tension we 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 live in. So so good because, you know, in the ancient world, it seems like the sacrifices were done to earn the grace. Absolutely. In, in, in Jesus's economy, he gives you grace. Therefore, now your reasonable response is to lay down your life like a living sacrifice and start living your life and obedience and allegiance to King Jesus in that way. Which is such a great translation. Like your your reasonable response. Yeah. Like because, he even says in view of. Yeah. In view of what God has done. Here's the response. Give yourself in faith. Um, but you're absolutely right. Like every instance that we see of paganism, and paganism is any kind of religion that has multiple gods, um, sacrifices and offerings are always aimed at getting the God's attention. There's this great moment where Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like them. Don't be like the pagans who think they have to babble on. He's talking about grace. That's a grace conversation. Thinking that you have to like completely blow smoke up their butt and like just brown nose and like all this kind of stuff. Anything I can do, please gods look at me. Um, and he's like, no, no, God already loves you. He, like, all you have to do is talk to him. Um, if you go back to the story in in First Kings uh, nineteen twenty or somewhere, where Elijah challenges all the prophets of Baal, yeah, and it's like all of their sacrifices, they're cutting themselves. Please respond, they're Baal! Going insane, yeah. And then, uh, you know, you see Elijah who's like douses it in water and like, <laughs> hey, God, boom, fire. <laughs> Like, like, and there's something there. Like that was the idea. Like you have to do all this stuff to get the God's attention. And Elijah's like, God already has the real God already 
sees you and knows you. You don't need to work for his attention. So he already loves you. He's just asking you to respond to his love a certain way. Um, it's powerful, man. So yeah, it's it's yeah. a different way of looking at things. And um, grace is a fun word. I, yeah. I love how it works and together you like with words faith. in general. So that's kind of your thing. I do. Yeah, grace, faith, and works are three of my favorite words in the Bible um, because I think they're often misunderstood, but they work together in a beautiful way. And when you understand them well, I, I think it just paints the clearest picture of Christianity for me that God has. God has given me something I didn't deserve, mm -hmm. but he's called me to respond to it. Um, he's He's given me a new car that I didn't work for, <laughs> but now he's saying, put the keys in the ignition, put it in reverse and start driving it. And here's how to drive it right. Um, and stay loyal to me in the way that you drive it. Yeah, let me tell you how the best to keep care yeah. for this car and drive it. And as long as you do, you're gonna have fun with it. And don't think that driving in a certain way makes me happy. Or like like you had to earn it. You know, you know, I just I just want you to enjoy the car. Um, so yeah, and I think that's the way those words work together in a, in a really powerful way. So um, I I was about to make a comment, then I realized <laughs> I listened to last week's digging deeper when okay. we went on a trip, and I had to like felt like I had to fast forward a few times. Everyone was like Pete's book, Pete's book. I was like, ah, oh, shut know, up talking know, about Pete's I book. But, but literally, I literally do have three chapters okay. that are like grace, faith, and works, and how they tie together in the good. story of Christianity. So, um, and I just, I've been, I worked on that so much the last two weeks in my rewriting. So a lot of it's in my head of just, what is grace? What, stuff you're thinking about yeah. right now. Yeah, it's so. in, it's in my heart a lot. And it has been, I, um, there was a great book that came out a few years ago by John Barclay, scholar who just looked at grace and he basically said, uh, it was all like looking at, grace in the ancient world, quoting all these other Greek and Roman scholars and things. And he said, there are, he said, there are six aspects to a grace. Like, and what was so interesting about it is like giving somebody a gift. He's like, it's not as simple as like, what does the word gift mean? Well, it means a present. Yeah. But, um, did you earn it? Why am I giving it to you? Um, and then how should you respond to it? Those are very different questions. Yeah. What does the gift accomplish? Um, and so he looked at all these different things of like, um, like looking at how we can focus on different things. And as Christians, we've always focused on the motive behind giving in a good way. Like, because it's astounding that God would give without concern for our worth or merit. That's the part that blows right. us away. Yeah. But we don't always pay attention sure. to everyone in the ancient world. Um, Seneca said, if somebody gives you a grace, you should immediately turn your thoughts to how to repay. And he mm. said, if a grace is truly worthy of the friendship, you should be willing to pour forth your blood in response. Like there was this expectation that <laughs> grace created the social bond. Yeah. Um, and it called you to work. Yeah. And he, Seneca compared grace to playing catch with a ball. He said, you throw somebody a ball with the intention of starting a relationship, they throw it back. If they keep it and go home, you're going to be upset and angry and insulted. The same way if somebody gives you a gift, a grace, and you sense. don't respond to it, you're ruining the relationship. And God gives us this grace. He tosses a ball to us. Or similarly, uh, another example would be like a person who invites you to dance and takes the first step. You're expected to then dance with them and continue the flow. And so that's the way grace works. And God wants to, God's grace is inviting us into a new relationship with him, a new life with him, but it requires us to then take another step to throw the ball back, to keep the relationship going. And that was kind of your point, even about, you know, you had this great quote. I, I actually wrote it, wrote it down. It says being used by God doesn't require a Christian job, just being a Christian at your job. That was like my tweet moment. Wasn't that was, it? That was a tweet. You, you always Peak speak in tweet, tweet moments. So I a, try to find that it. was great, man. That was a tweet moment. So that was a great quote, but you know, so this is kind of like what you were going towards though, was this idea of 
of you know the way that you work this out, and this is and this is your interpretation of um, of Paul's instruction to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and work with your hands and things like that, was the idea of maximizing what you do for a living by making sure that that's also where you're exercising your calling, where you're really kind of digging in on that way. Yeah. Now, now, the question I have that's a little bit on the challenging side of that is what does this actually look like, especially if you have a job where it's hard to connect the dots from your job to what actually becomes a witness for Jesus Christ? Well, um, <laughs> if, if, if I have a strength, my strength is theory. If I have a weakness, my we my weakness can be application, application okay. and practice. Um, there are people who are way better at get, like I, I, my brain tends to live at 10,000 feet too much. Okay. Um, but I would say this, uh, and, um, this might require, and we're already pushing a half hour here, but oh, <laughs> we, you and I've talked about this before and I, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to trump you here. Um, but we have talked about kind of our different views of purpose and, and life and things. Mm -hmm. And I actually believe that, sorry, my, the way that I view things has an easier answer to this question than maybe where you've come from at Explain times. that a little bit more. If the purpose of being a Christian is to like make disciples and spread the gospel, yeah, that's a really hard question. If the purpose of being human is to cultivate God's word, God's world, and live and make good things, then building a house is just as holy as anything else. And I think being made in the image of God, if it means like I have to do Christian things, and that this is what I really meant by that. Yeah. Are you know, I, I heard a great one of my favorite bands, Switchfoot, was doing a an interview. They were like on Hard Rock Live or something. It wasn't a Christian interview. And someone asked him about their religious roots. And, you know, he was talking. He said, you know, it's funny because people always ask you a Christian band. He's like, I don't even know what that means. He's like, can a can a can a, a, a chord be Christian? And he goes, well, G sus can, um, which <laughs> that is was a, good. Yeah. Uh, but oh, the, the, the point was like, like that one. music isn't Christian. And if your <laughs> lyrics are bringing people's thoughts around to something about God, okay, I get, but like Christian, what do we mean? Christian yeah. music. Yeah. Um, but that, that mentality turns us into like, well, I need, like I kind of joke, I need to be yep. a Christian architect or a Christian electrician. Yeah. Whatever you do, you need to be a Christian, Christian at your job building. Like, and being a Christian at its core, and this is so part of my DNA and my thinking, what does it mean to be a Christian? It doesn't mean you tell people about Jesus. Being a Christian means you're living out the purpose of your existence the way God intended it. Like to be a Christian is to follow Jesus into becoming the kind of human being God wants you to be. It's living eternity today. It's it's saying, I wanna be what God in, always made me to be. And the way that I discover that is by living the way Jesus taught me to live. Yes, part of his command was to invite others yes. into that life. Yeah. But inviting others into that life isn't the point of that life. It's simply that God wants everyone to live that life. So to be a Christian at work is to go to work the way that God created you to go to work. And like when you, and I mean- I don't disagree with you yeah, by the way. I, I just think like the challenge, like so the, the heart of that question is how do I 
be a Christian and, and have impact on the world around me um, when I'm just an electrician. And I, and I, I'm not trying to make a trite statement here. I mean it like, like, well, in the new heaven and new earth, will we not have electricity? Like, would, how would you, how would you answer that question in eternity? Like, well, we would just, we won't have electricity. So you won't have a job or would you still be wiring houses and putting in circuit breakers in eternity? Yeah. Like, I, and, and in doing so you are living out something great and you're, you're bringing goodness to the world by making sure that my house has electricity. <laughs> like, why is that, uh, like, I don't know, like worldly and, and whatever, but preaching, whereas preaching is godly and holy. I agree. It's like yeah. do, being the kind of human being God created you to be not being the kind of human being the world wants you to be is holiness. That's holiness. Like being different than what the world's broken system is and instead being what God wants you to be. So if I go to work every day, living my life the way Jesus calls me to and applying all of his wisdom, Paul says, people are going to look at you and be like, that seems to be better than how I'm living my life. I want that life. It doesn't mean they stop being electricians and you stop being electrician. No, the Bible <laughs> says whether you eat or drink, do it all into the glory of God, the glory of God which yeah. I believe there's an implication. You can do like everyday things like wiring a circuit breaker or eating or drinking or uh, building a house, whatever you want to say, you can do it in a way that doesn't glorify God. That, right. There's an implication on that, but you can also do it in a way that does bring glory to God and will also, just like you said, proclaim Christ to the watching world. We'll proclaim, man, there's something different that's going on with even the way that that person wires a circuit breaker. Right. right? Like, and I absolutely believe that. Now what happens if you find yourself in a job where it's really hard to connect the dots, like, you know, maybe you're working in a casino mm. or, um, or you're, you know, maybe you work in the DMV. That's we kinda, really we, hard we, we joked about it last week. But, I made the comment to you. I was like, Robert, Christian, <laughs> Christian ministry is the only job that's not going to exist in eternity. And, I, and, and I, you were like, what about strippers? Well, <laughs> you well, didn't no, say that. No, I said but, grave diggers, but grave actually we're grave diggers, that's what you said. Grave yeah. diggers, I said, I said grave diggers won't, <laughs> doctors won't because, you know, no more sickness. Um, police, right? Because no more sin. So what, what are they going to enforce? Uh, military, no more wars, right? There's a lot of things that you're aren't right. going to exist. So you're I right, can keep going. I can go on forever, but no. But, but for real, like what happens for some of those, those job occupations? And by the way, if someone is working at a casino, like, is, is that, is that wrong? You know, like, hmm. like, should they quit their job and get a new one if they're a Christian and they want to be, you know, a good Christian in that situation? That's what does not that look a, like? that's not a hypothetical. I actually know a young woman who, who's part of uh, our young adult group here that Absolutely. works at a casino. Um, we, that came up in one of our, sometimes I go to the young adult group and just chat with them like, yeah. like four in the morning. Yeah, um, you do. <laughs> so yeah, th that's a good point. There are definitely things that we'd currently do that are directly related to the fact that our world is broken, no doubt. Um, so I can take solace in the fact that I'll probably have to figure out something else to do. Uh, and I don't want to change the subject, but like, I even wonder like w teaching. Um, I, I, have, right? I have a tendency to believe that we'll need teachers because will we still have, will new people be born in eternity or not? I, I don't know. I have no idea. We're all speculating. We're here. all speculating. Yeah. Anyway, um, this question is interesting because uh, on the one hand, I would say there are, there are shades of, of gray and sh there's shades of black and shades of white. 
And there are certain jobs that are much more on the shade of black that I can give clear answers to. Um, if you're working in the sex industry, stop. Yeah, there's, there's certain things. That, that's why I didn't yeah. even bring up, stop. like if you're a stripper, then right. you got to get out of there. Um, if your job is an enforcer for the mafia, stop. Yeah, um, you're, you're not living in line with God's intentions. If you're a drug um, dealer, right? right. Like there's so forth. Then you get into something like, what if I am a store clerk for a liquor store or a dealer at a casino? Or even a bartender. A bartender. A bartender is a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then well, this is where I think you turn the page. Sorry. Those, uh, you're in 1 Corinthians 5. 5, yeah. You turn the page to Corinthians 8. I think it's 8. Is it 8? Meat sacrifice to idols? It's not yes. 8. Yes, it is. It is. It's 8. Yeah. And Paul gets into this discussion. He talks about like, what happens when mm-hmm. you're doing something that kind of has a hint of, that's eh, kind of paganism, but you kind of in your heart are like, but I don't, I'm not bothered by it. It's not affecting my walk with Jesus. But other people are like, yeah, I don't think you should do that. How should you respond here? And he helps them work through it, not by giving them a clear answer, not yeah. by saying, don't do that, do this. He sets some parameters. And one parameter is, is this healthy for you? Is it bringing goodness to God's world? Another parameter is, is it negatively affecting other Christians who are struggling with what you're doing? Absolutely. So if you're a bartender and you are um, blatantly uh, working to bring about alcoholism, Paul might be like, that might not be the right, that might not be a good fit for you. you know, there's a problem here. If you personally struggle with alcoholism, Paul would probably be like, do not be a bartender. That's a bad decision. Yeah. Uh, if you have a massive gambling addiction, uh, working in a casino is probably not a good idea. Yeah. You know, a casino is a tough one and so is alcohol, both of these, because they are, mm-hmm. they are things that we often term as vices, um, largely because of the Puritan movement. Um, if you'd gone, if you went back 1500 years, Christians didn't call alcohol a vice. Um, they just thought abuse of it was a vice. Even like gambling, you kind of move into the Puritan movement. That's when like dice and things became of sure. the devil. Um, I'm not a gambler and I don't drink uh, because I'm better than you. Um, <laughs> 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 he, he said that so seriously that, and I believe him. I believe him. He actually believed that in the depths of who he is. But um, okay, Mr. Better Than Me, why don't you... Uh, um, why don't you inform uh, us immoral? No, I was just, I, I was just, just saying joking. both of those though are things that <laughs> I personally, I, I have found that I can have a very like intense, almost addictive, sometimes personality. Hmm. And, uh, I don't, when I was in college, I wasn't the guy that would just have a beer. I was the guy that would like drink a whole fifth of vodka and pass out. Um, and when I play poker, it's not just the guy that's having fun. I turn into this like obsessive, mean person who has to destroy everyone. Like a cutthroat. I really am. Okay. I really am. Like bad things come out of me. Um, and so those things aren't healthy for me. And yeah. I, I've pushed them out of my life. But other Christians don't have that at all. It's no big deal to them. Um, so I would just say like, like even like casino is a good example. My response to the person at the casino would say, look, I have nothing to say to you here. I have no the Holy spirit is saying like, no, the Bible isn't yeah. speaking to this. I think you need to follow your own conscience. Do you, is, is, are you okay with this? Do you, have you prayed about this and God said, okay with it? Are you feeling that you're, you know, are there parts of your job that you think are actually bringing unhealth to other people? Do you pay attention to that? If not, you know, whatever, go in peace kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I gambling isn't something I have a huge issue with personally, because most of the people that I know that gambled, do it just for fun and don't really have a problem. But 
the truth is you don't usually know who has a problem. So I'm not making any major statements there. Sure. I know that I know it can be a problem. Um, I, I yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I think purposely it, brought up those examples because yeah. they're hard. They are. They are hard. And so you have to work through them with wisdom and, and be careful not to build clear and cut. This is right. This is wrong, which some yeah. churches want to do. And it's like, well, it's not always right and wrong. You're, you, you're living in the gray that. right now. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And the way that you live in the gray is by following the Holy spirit within you. Yeah. Um, the Bible gives us blacks and whites, blacks. The Bible gives us more black and whites. Like I can read the Bible and say, don't, don't murder. Okay, great. Um, the Holy Spirit says, well, what about going to war? <laughs> Holy Spirit, speak to me. What, what's right in this what moment? Does it yeah. Look like? it yeah. helped, he leads me through the gray. Um, so no, I think it's helpful. And, and listen, if, if you're listening to this and you have some thoughts or some things about this, cause I know that this kind of brings up a whole nother conversation that we lot, don't have yeah. time for, then I would encourage you, whatever platform you're, listening to this on or watching this on use a comment section um i think it would be helpful to kind of keep a conversation going and be safe climbing down from your platform make sure you have a ladder <laughs> oh my gosh i did not pick that i was like what are you talking about <laughs> okay yes yes okay, i think we're done okay <laughs> this is a great episode of digging deeper and before we go any deeper uh i'm just gonna go ahead and say next week is end times oh my goodness bring it but i can't be on digging deeper i'll be on vacation so jean <laughs> Are you going to tell people about end times next Monday? Yep. We'll figure deeper. it out. I, either way, I'm sure it'll be a great revelation. But, yeah. you know, you, you, you Pete. I caught it. I caught yeah, it. There we go. Great revelation. I, I like, caught it. I caught oh. it. Anyway. We'll Pete be returning It's going to be talking week. about that next Sunday. So make sure that you join us 9 and 11. All right. So this is the end time of this podcast. It's the end time. I think we're done. That's a wrap. Sure. I'll see you guys. <laughs> Good revelation. He's like, no, I said, that's a wrap. Sure. Uh, no. Uh